second grade and want to start making your way to your story time and then other kids you want to make sure especially boys boys you want to make sure you have one of the bulletins and you're paying attention and you're filling out the things because I promise you answers will be rewarded later on in the day so make sure you're tuned in and we are picking back up in our series we were uh, in the fall started a series going through Exodus and uh, so if you have your Bibles you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 19 we're going to pick up in 19. And uh, as we do, I want you to think about what's the greatest Christmas gift you've ever received. When I was in youth ministry about 15 years ago, there was a boy, a teenager in our youth group who, uh, he was a gamer. And uh, this was about the time when the PS3, PlayStation 3 had just came out and he wanted one so desperately. And so we kind of all knew how much he loved it and wanted one and kind of the community kind of rallied so he could make sure he could get his PS3 for Christmas morning. And then when he opened it up, it was like the happiest moment of his life. Just pure elation. But unfortunately, that elation only lasted about three days because roughly three days later, disaster struck and disaster came in the form of his little sister who woke up one morning and was hungry and took out some frozen Eggo waffles and tried to cook the Eggo waffle in the PlayStation 3. She it was with the, the disk drive came out, she stuffed it in there, crammed it in, and then was quite perturbed when it didn't come out warm and ruined his PlayStation. And that became a running joke kind of uh, after he... Uh, after he got over it and we got it fixed, it became one of the running jokes at our church that, uh, or in the youth group, that uh, you don't want to try and cook waffles in your PlayStation. You think about PlayStation, it's, it's an amazing machine. It is intricately built and it can do all types of amazing things. But one thing it cannot do is it can't cook waffles. And we use that as like a, a, a parable, a living parable for ourselves. And we are wonderfully made. We're uh, so intricately complex, both physically and psychologically and spiritually. And recently, I got to meet some of the students at the University of Florida's pharmacology school. And one of the things they were talking about is the, the biggest shock in trying to learn uh, their medical trade is how unbelievably complex the body is. And every medication you try to do one thing is going to have a hundred different side effects and you have no idea. Trying to hold it all together seems practically impossible because just physically we're so complex. But then you add emotionally and relationally and psychologically and spiritually we are complex beings and in one sense it would be so wonderful if we had like a, a maker's handbook that would help us understand how can we live in line with our design so we don't metaphorically try and cook ego waffles in this playstation we, we understand what we were made for and designed for. And in large measure, measure whether you, you grow and blossom in life or shrink and wither, whether you become more like Christ or more like the devil, will determine how well you live in line with God's design for you, this world, and your life. And so what we're going to do... 
up until Easter is we're going to camp out around Exodus 19 and really Exodus 20 at the Ten Commandments. And we're going to look at the Ten Commandments as God's design for life. This is his, his blueprint for how we're supposed to live well. And so what I want to do today is just kind of orient us to the big picture, kind of reintroduce uh, us, kind of where are we in Exodus, and just kind of get an orientation. And then next week we're going to dive in fully uh, to the Ten Commandments. But our text, we'll be looking at Exodus 19. And the reason why, again, this is so important is because in so many ways life is all about relationships. If you want to live well, it's relationships, relationships with God, yourself, others, the world. And if you get these th things right, your life will be filled with joy and peace. But get them wrong and things really start to break down. One of the books I'm most looking forward to coming out this year is Jonathan Haidt, who's a, a, a sociologist who works at NYU and has uh, kind of some famous books. He's written The, the Coddling of the American Mind uh, several years ago. He's got a book called, coming out called, How, uh, called The Anxious Generation, How the Great Rewiring of Childhood is Causing an Epidemic of Mental Illness is the subtitle. I'm really interesting to read this kind of from the angle of, in essence, the Ten Commandments to say, all right, I wonder how many of the things that he's highlighting that's causing what he sees is kind of this mass epidemic of depression or mental illness has manifestations from these relationships with God, self, others that have fractured and are breaking down. So as we look at the Ten Commandments, one of the things we see is true joy only comes through meaningful relationships with God first, knowing, and then walking in his ways. So three big ideas, so three kind of big ideas that we just want to hold in our mind throughout this whole series. Uh, the first is that these, the Ten Commandments, these are the blueprints for humanity. This is God's blueprint. It's, it's, it's the user's manual. It's the blueprint for humanity, how you're supposed to live. This is how we are designed to behave. You know, one thing the, the challenge we'll have when we come to the Ten Commandments is we really don't like being told what to do. And here it's very clearly we're being told certain things to do. But we don't like that. But we wish everybody else would do these things. So we want to live in a world where everyone else does these things, but we're not so sure we want to do those things. So it's really important to hold the context that this is God's blueprint for humanity. This is how we and everyone around us and our communities are meant to flourish. James calls these things the, the, law, the perfect law of liberty. And so you're only truly free when you are living in line with your design. You know, the PlayStation is not designed to cook breakfast foods. It is not free unless it's unleashed to be doing what it was designed to do. You know, and, and uh, acorn is not free until it's unleashed to become an oak tree, not an elephant. You know, an eagle is only free when it's soaring, not when it's swimming. It wasn't really made to swim very well. And so this, this is the path on how do we, we soar as humans. Another big picture that we want to reiterate over and over, because in our world we think these are contested realities, but they, the Ten Commandments, all are about love. They're about how to really love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the core. You know, if you look back throughout the history of the church, the classic discipleship curriculum 
the basic categories that nearly all believers throughout history have been formed in are the triad of faith, hope, and love. The Apostles' Creed tells it summarizes our faith. Our hope is summarized in the Lord's Prayer. This is what we hope for, both big picture and then daily activities. And it's the Ten Commandments who set out how we're supposed to love Two sides, love the Lord and then love other people. We'll look in the next couple of weeks and you kind of see the progression and structure. As you can see, it's all about love. And it's supposed to help us understand what love really is. Because even kind of in a, a silly example, you can think, you know, all right, uh, is it okay for me uh, to steal one of your wallets as you leave here, and then take the money to Publix and buy my wife flowers. Is that, is that a loving act? Or the Ten Commandments help us understand these things in their context. So it's given to give us, this is about how to love God and love others. And another kind of third thing to hold on to as we go through this whole thing is, is the goal is, is really the heart. It starts in the heart and then it works outward. We'll continually to reference these things to Jesus' interpretation where this is not just a moral checklist where you kind of check these things off. It's not a moral ladder that you use to climb up to get God, get to God. It's a way of transforming the heart. So even the commandment, don't murder. The goal is to cultivate a heart that's free from all hatred. And so it's going after the heart. And what we want to do is be the type of people, like in Psalm 1, who delight themselves in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. Then you become like a tree that's planted by streams of water. And no matter what season comes, what situation you're in, you can be flour you flourish and are fruitful. So we want to anchor those. All right, so that's big picture. We want to remind blueprint for humanity. It's all about, it's a transformation of the heart and love is the key theme. How do we love God and love others? That's kind of the core seed. Now let's kind of uh, orient ourselves to get to Sinai because we didn't make it in the fall as far as I'd hoped we get to in Exodus. So we're going to have to jump ahead a little bit and then after Easter we'll, we'll cycle back. But let's, if you have about, go to chapter 19. So let's kind of get to 19. So there's a major transition in the book at chapter 19. And on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt... On that day when they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. All right, so now they've come to Sinai. Now, if you kind of follow in the story, you know, you're reading through Exodus, there's been lots of dramatic action where they've been enslaved and then confrontations with Pharaoh and then dramatic uh, release and the people going, passing through the Red Sea. And now we come to the foot of Sinai and from Exodus 19 all the way till Numbers chapter 10, we're not going anywhere. We are at Sinai. And it's going to be over a year where they're here and uh, going to come into the presence of the Lord. This book, now we're moving into the core kind of message. The message is about presence. How do we dwell into the presence of the Lord? How do we come into his presence? How does he live with us? And so I want to give a snapshot of kind of the literary structure of the rest of Exodus. So, Cody, pull up the uh, seven... seven uh, trips up the mountain 
Okay, so we got the seven ascents. So the way there's going to be seven times, so all of the, kind of the drama, or at least the setting for the whole rest of the book is going to be seven different trips where Moses is going to go up the mountain, he's going to talk to God, and then he's going to come down the mountain and have some interaction with the people. So it's up the mountain, down the mountain, seven different times. And as we go through, that's, that's not a coincidence. You think, ah, oh, that's interesting. What's seven? And the first three or preparatory, and they happen in chapter 19. So we'll take a little look at uh, each of those three uh, here in a minute. But then uh, the first three are kind of preparing. And then number four, or number three and number four, um, is where he goes up to the, uh, the Ten Commandments, gets the Ten Commandments, and then goes down. And then five, six. Actually, let's just jump in now and let's start reading 19 so we can get a sense of them. So number one picks up in verse three, ascent one. You can see, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders. So Moses goes up and he hears that commission. Now we're going to cycle back and we'll end on that one. So that's the first one. This is the, the call in. And then he goes back down. He shares the words to the people. And notice how they respond. I mean, that sounds really good. You are going to be my treasured possession. You are going to be a royal priesthood. You are going to be a holy nation. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So then Moses goes back up, ascent number two, and he shares that word with the Lord. Behold, I am, and then God says to him in nine, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down. So the next one is, all right, this is how you got to prepare. So you need to prepare yourself. So you have to consecrate yourself. You have to wash yourself. You have to put on clean garments. And then interesting. And then on the third day, on the third day, you'll rise up and God will come down. So it's on the third day you will meet. So Moses goes down. That's the, the second ascent. And down the, the first one is the promise. The second one is now the preparation. And then Moses comes down and he says to the people, be ready from the third day and do not go near a woman. And then on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And when Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled 
greatly. And at the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called to Moses from the top of the mountain. And Moses goes up. So here's the third ascent. He goes up and the fire comes down. And it comes down in lightning and fire and thunder. And now the Lord begins to speak out of the fire. And if you remember, this is the same mountain that Moses encountered the Lord in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses has an impersonal encounter with God as he speaks to him out of the burning bush. And now the entire nation has an encounter with the living God as the whole mountain now is on fire and burning. And then, but evidently, uh, some people started to get getting a little too close. So God starts to speak, and then he has to warn Moses in 21. He says, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. So he gives his whole warning, like, stop, be ready. And then he gives the Ten Commandments. And then the people, uh, it's kind of the, 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 the chronological sequence is a little hard. So Moses kind of goes up, all the people start to coming, God starts to talk, and then when he starts to talk, the people start to freak out. So jump over to 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sounds of the trumpet and the mountain smoking and the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses then went back up in the thick darkness. So here's the fourth ascent. So he goes up. So the people start to hear the Lord speak, and then they panic and say, no, 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 this is, this is too close, too much. Let's send you back up. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis said that most, um, he was talking in an apologetic context. So he kind of said, this is 1950s, and he says, you know, most of the, the very confident uh, intellectual atheists that he would meet at the University of Oxford. Uh, he said, they remind me of kids who are playing uh, cops and robbers in the attic. And so they're playing cops and robbers, or they're like, oh yeah, if a, if, a, if a burglar tried to break in, I'd stand up and I'd like shoot him in the face. And I'd do the... And then, uh, so they're very kind of pompous about what they are uh, going to do. And then all of a sudden they hear a creak on the stairs and they all panic and freeze. He said, this is what like, you know, we just hear, oh, yes, I, you know, I would, when, when you often hear people say that, like, when I die and if I stand before God, one thing I'm going to ask him is, how come you probably won't be saying anything? <laughs> You'll probably be prostrate on your face. And this is exactly what happened. They were very confident. Oh, yeah, we want to we go up with you and go into the presence. And then they start getting close. It's, uh-uh, that's a little too much. And so then they send Moses goes up. This is the ascent number four, where he goes up. And then for the next, uh, from 20 all the way to 23, he gets all of the, the legal cases, some case law that's going to unpack the rest of, uh, or give illustration of the Ten Commandments. And then Moses comes down. 
and he shares that with the people. And then in chapter 24 is the fifth ascent where he goes back up and this time he brings the elders and he brings Aaron with him and they have a feast there with the Lord because worship is about presence and presence is about celebration. So they bring the sacrifice and they have this feast as they come up and then Moses goes alone into the dark cloud for 40 days and 40 nights and there God gives him the full detailed instructions. This is where the Lord writes the Ten Commandments with his own hand. He gives him the Ark of the Covenant and then the full details for the tabernacle and the priesthood. And this is so important because it's linking both God's commands and God's presence. He's giving his commands to obey, but then he's giving the, the sacrificial system to cover the sins when they, they can't obey. And they have the communal meal. And so that goes on uh, through chapter uh, 20 through chapter 29 into 30 and then while he's up it culminates in chapter 31 verse 18 and he the Lord gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony the tablets of stone written with the very finger of God and then the, as Moses is coming down there begins to be a tumult and then in verse 7 of chapter 32, the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Disaster strikes. And it's not in the form of little sister. It's disaster, and the whole community has created the golden calf. So after this, Moses gets sent back down, and then he's got to intercede for the people, and then he goes up the sixth time to try and intercede for them so the Lord doesn't wipe them out. And uh, he is re-given, re they reconstitute the covenant, they make a new set of tablets, and then he comes down at the end of 34. He comes down, and then starting in 35, they start to do what the Lord's commanded. They start to build the tabernacle. And that goes all the way to chapter 40. And then chapter 40 is the seventh ascent where it begins and the Lord spoke to Moses. He goes back up. And this is the final time because here you can even see chapter 4, 47 different times. It says, and Moses did as the Lord commanded. And then he builds, they build the tabernacle. And then it culminates in the verse 34 of chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up for, from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day, day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on their tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night in sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So these seven different movements up at the end of the seventh, now the Lord's presence moves from off the top of the mountain. Now it's into the tabernacle. And so now the tabernacle becomes the portable dwelling place where God is. And now wherever it goes, that's where God is going to go with them. So we see the whole book is about what does it mean to enter into the presence of the Lord? How do we get the presence of the Lord so it can come down among us and then be with us and we be with the Lord? 
And so there's some parallels of those different ascents. It's interesting. Ascent number one is a call to hear and to obey. And then ascent number four, you've given the commandments, which you're supposed to obey. And then ascent number two is a, is a warning to prepare yourself. This is what's going to happen to happen so you can be in God's presence. And then ascent number five, it reiterates those warnings and how you create the space. And then in ascent number three, the Lord comes down in all of his power and the people get terrified because they're aggressive. And then ascent number six is they've, they've sinned and the Lord's coming down in his power. So there's these unique parallels among them all. But as we wrap up this morning, I just want to look at that first ascent and just take a couple minutes just meditating and thinking about that first one. So go back to chapter 19 as the very first time that he goes up. And Cody, pull up the, uh, the literary structure for, for that one. So this ascent number one is a call where the Lord's going to call just Moses up and pick up in verse 3 where while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all of the words that the Lord had commanded him. And so you can see there's this movement that begins with this call up into the Lord's presence. He calls to Moses, and then he commissions him to speak. And then he gives him the exact words he's supposed to say. Then he reiterates that commission. And then he goes down to say it to the people. And in many ways, this sequence, this sequence that you see here is essential to understanding the Exodus. It's essential to understanding even the Old Testament. It has this movement of it begins with, this is what the Lord has done. This is what the Lord requires or how we should respond And then this is what the Lord promises if you do. So what the Lord has done, what the Lord requires, what the Lord uh, promises. You see his saving acts, our response and obedience, and then the blessings that flow out of this. So look just quickly, just look, look at what the Lord has done. This is God's summary of everything he's done up until this point. His summary of Exodus chapter 6 through 19. So if you missed the, the sermon series or want the executive summary, uh, here's God's summary of what's happened this far. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So that's what he's done, and they, they've seen it all. So in chapter 18, we have Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, and they have to tell him, this is what the Lord has done. You would not believe it. So he wasn't an eyewitness. He has to just trust the account from the eyewitnesses. But what God has reminded them is, all of you, you saw all of this. And I love that imagery. Notice how he's borne you on eagle's wings. So lifted you up so you could fly. But notice the goal. The goal was to bring you to myself. So this is why relationship is so central. And the point of the commandments is not just a dry obedience. The point is presence. 
The point is to bring you to myself so we can be dwell together. So he brought them to himself. Presence is the point. But then notice that maybe the giant two-letter word, if. So now, therefore, if you will indeed hear my voice, obey, you obey my voice, and you keep the commandment. The first thing is they have to hear. God is a speaking God, and the defining mark of his people is that they hear his voice, and they seek to obey it. They seek to listen. They are a people of the word, and they hear and heed the word. So do you hear? And he says you also keep. You could use the word guard. This is the same language for Adam and Eve. That he put Adam in the garden to tend it and to keep it, to, to guard it, to, to cultivate it. So he thinks, all right, the, the, the commandments are the type of things we have to keep, but it's a similar idea to, all right, how do you keep a garden? You know, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of tending and cultivating and caring. So we're supposed to hear and to keep. That's what their response is. And then notice the threefold promise, what the Lord promises. This is what you shall be. Notice, I have done, you will, and then you shall. You shall be. First is my treasured possession. You know, that's an interesting word because it's kind of like... Um, you know, actually, what's coming to mind is we have a handful of things, especially when our kids were babies, that they've clinged to that were absolutely vital for sanity and sleeping success. And we have certain notorious or kind of, you know, family stories of daddy going out to Walmart at all hours of the night or tromping through Park Avenue after midnight, looking under park benches and combing through playgrounds, trying to find certain blankies because they are the treasured possession that without them, no one is sleeping. And you know, in the ancient world, you didn't have banks. You didn't have security deposits. And so you think, all right, the king, I mean, the Lord has said, the entire earth is mine. Like, I own it all. But, what kings would do is they would have certain things. We won't, maybe not like they're blanky, but they'd have certain things that were special treasured possessions that they always kept with them within their inner chamber. And he says, this is what you will be to me, my, my treasured possession. And then you will become a kingdom of priests. This is part of your responsibility, a whole kingdom that you now have priestly access into God's presence. And it's, it's your job to bring the cares of the world into my presence and then bring my peace out into the world. That's why I have saved you, to be a light to the nations. So you'll be my treasured possession, but you're going to be a kingdom of priests to mediate my presence and my blessing to the world. And then you're going to be a holy nation who is sharing and displaying the divine nature because in my presence, you become like me and then you reflect me out into that world. So notice the movement of their calling. You have this privileged status as my treasured possession and then that causes you to have free access into my presence. And then now you have a glorious calling for public witness out in the world. That is who they were meant to be. And that is who we as a church are meant to be. Peter picks up this language and says, this is who we are now in Christ. So that first 
movement and then the second ascent is God's coming and it's the idea that without holiness nobody's going to see the Lord and they have to have a time of purification and they have to have a time of preparation and vigilance. Very warn them, don't get too close to the mountain. It's dangerous. And then the third is the ascent, the actual meeting and some of the pieces, this loud trumpet call and then he comes down and both fire and smoke and fire and smoke are going to be images of God's presence throughout the whole rest of the Old Testament. You know, began in the garden where the flaming sword of the cherubim is on fire. It's turning this way and then in the encounter with God and Abraham, this flaming smoking fire pot that represents God's presence. So you have the fire and the, and the smoke and then they come in, and then now they're ready in chapter 20 for God speaking directly to them and these words. So we're going to pause here as we get ready to move into uh, the Ten Commandments. Think, all right, this is God's blueprint for life. It's teaching us how we can love Him and love others well. And the goal is to capture and transform our heart. But a couple things to think about as, as we close. And it's kind of interesting even just thinking the geography because unless you kind of have the geography of the ancient Middle East in your mind, you might not get how strange it is that they've made this detour and wind up at Sinai for the whole year. Now, about two million Israelites are leaving. So that's almost the entire population of the city of Orlando. Now, could you imagine if we all in unison together had, you know, our mayor, who's the mayor right now, Buddy Dyer, I don't, whoever the mayor, is going to lead us all, and he says, you would not believe we have this incredible land that is flowing with milk and honey, and we are going to go, and it's called Miami, and none of us ever, we've never heard of Miami before, but we can't wait to go and get there, but then we start to go, and then we wind up in Tallahassee. And for the next year, we're just hanging out in Tallahassee. Now, you might not necessarily have to be the most contentious person to think, mm, do you think we, did, did we make a wrong turn? Like, does this guy know where he's going? And so they go to Sinai, and Sinai is almost the complete opposite way from where Canaan is and the land flowing of milk and honey. And they're going to pause there for an entire year and think, all right, how did we get here? I don't know if you've ever had that moment in your life where something caused you just to stop and you look around and you think, how did I get here? How did we wind up here right now? In some sense, they're farther away from the promised land now than when they started three months ago. But this is exactly where the Lord wanted them to be. And this is his promise to Moses. You're going to come back to this mountain and you all are going to worship me on this Mountain, And I just wonder at this time in their life when they're beginning if they needed some reassurance. They look around this wild, untamed mountain, couldn't be farther from the open, spacious land that's filled with milk and honey, but this is exactly where God wanted them to be. And so maybe as you start a new year and you think, all right, well, you know, how did I get here? Maybe I'm not where I wanted to be. Maybe this is Sinai. And exactly where God wanted you to be. Because the whole point is not so much the place, it's the presence. The goal is can, coming into his presence. Can I meet him here? And often we don't like this, but it's often once we fall and hit the bottom is where God meets us. And so he's brought them intentionally to this place. But as we move here, they're going to encounter him. And I love this quote 
from J.I. Packer. He says, God lo- God's love gave us the law just as his love gave us the gospel. And as there's no spiritual life for us save through the gospel, which points us to Jesus Christ, the Savior, there's no spiritual health for us save as we seek in Christ's strength to obey and to love and to keep the law, the practice of the love of God and the practice of the love of neighbor to which it calls us to. So it's a high calling that we will enter. And so let's pray as we begin this journey together this year. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your law. We pray that you would help us to, uh, to love it and to be the type of people who love it and want to dwell on it night and day. We thank you that when you gave the law, you not only gave the law, but you gave the means of grace by which those who can't keep the law and don't uphold it can find forgiveness in your sight. So you gave them both the law and you gave them the tabernacle with the day of atonement and the shedding of the Lamb's blood for the forgiveness of their sins. So we thank you that in Christ now we look to the one who was the ultimate fulfiller of the law and we look to the one who's the ultimate redeemer who can set us free so we truly can live life and have it more abundantly. This we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. So here at Trinity, we come to the Lord's table every week, and in many ways, the Lord's table symbolizes exactly what the law promises to us. It promises, this is what I've done for you. I have broken my body so your body can be made whole. I have shed my blood so you can find the forgiveness of your sins. And if you will just come, and for us, the law is the law of faith. If you will come and repent of your sins and believe and receive, then I will give you new life. So here at Trinity, we'll have four stations. The one in the back corner will be gluten-free. And once our servers are in place, you come.